Praise the Lord. It's good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. I had a wonderful weekend so far. It only gets better, of course, when we come to God's house. The young people uh, went down to... Um, excuse me for a second. Praise the Lord. Let's resume our normal programming, shall we? <laughs> um, yeah, we went down to the Esplanade and played, um, played soccer because the volleyball courts were uh, not operational yesterday. And uh, I think I won an award for most improved. Mostly, I think, just because I showed up. <laughs> but I did manage to get one goal and one assist. I was counting. Not quite as good, of course, as Sam, who was our professional captain and soccer player, who, I don't know, was it 37, 29? I don't know. I was losing count. I know we won. Our team won, right, Sam? It was like 49 to 3 or something. We won, right? Yeah, we won. By 20. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We've been talking about disciple making. And uh, we've been talking about having a culture in church where visitors feel welcome, where um, we're not, we don't have social groups where everyone kind of just stays together. And so let me start by, first of all, asking this. Everyone listening? If you are between the ages of 10... And 18, I want you to stand. Between the ages of 10 and 18, I want you to stand. Come on. I know who these people are, so I'm looking at them now. Come on, John. Between the ages of 10 and 18, is that you, Asnath? I think it is. Who else? Between the ages 10 and 18. Shamila, that's you as well, isn't it? Yeah, but you're a greeter. Okay. And Josiah says, no, Okay. Keep standing, but I want you to come down the front and sit on the front row for me. Come on. You know I told you. That's it. Right on the front row. That's it. You can sit now. I won't make you stand the whole service. Yeah, Josiah, it's your usher, so you can stay back there. That is not the front row, young lady. There you go. There we go. Isn't that great? Now we're messing up. We're messing up things, aren't we? I see Sister Minnie's already taken the opportunity to go. I'm going to sit somewhere else before Pastor moves me. <laughs> but um, I see you sitting over there, Sister Elsie. You sit there all the time. Why don't you come sit over there in the middle? Come on. We're moving people around, brother and sister Gary. You're always sitting over there. Why don't you come sit on the front row where I normally sit? Come on. Come on. We're moving things around. This back row, this back row never changes. Come on, back row. I want you to go sit where the garrows are sitting. Come on. We're changing things up a little bit. Everyone on the back row, come sit where the garrows are sitting. You can stay where you are. It's cool. That's it. Brother Kenneth has also taken the opportunity to sit somewhere different to where he always sits today. He must have known that I was going to do this. I think Sister Wapow is sitting somewhere different as well. Yeah, no, that's good. You can sit there. You've already moved. <laughs> and Sister Je that's it. We're getting the idea, aren't we? 
we're getting the idea. Okay, we need to move these guys. You guys need to move too. So I tell you what, we might get you to move. How about we get you to move to the back row over there? There you go. Look at that. Is everyone feeling slightly uncomfortable now? It's like, oh, the scenery is different over here. I've been sitting in this chair for the last 293 years. It's all changed. And maybe now you are starting to feel a little bit like what it's like when someone brand new walks in the door and they try to find a seat. Because it doesn't matter where they sit, they feel uncomfortable. Right? Just like you're feeling right now. These people in the front row are freaking out because pastor's really, really close to them now. (laughs) And see, this is something we need to understand. We've got to be able to get ourselves out of our comfort zones, understand how people walk in those doors, what they feel like. Amen. Because when they come in, they're not comfortable. And so we need to understand that and be able to treat them with love and understanding to know that, hey, these guys are out of their comfort zone. Many people have also gone just, just to get in the front door is such a big effort for some people. And so we need to understand that. Praise the Lord. So now that we're all feeling uncomfortable, why don't we grab our Bibles and we're going to go to the book of Mark this morning. Next week, we're going to do it again. So my advice for next week is when you come in, make sure you sit somewhere different. Maybe I should take a photo so I remember where everyone's sitting this morning. We don't want anyone being too comfortable. Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Read verse 28. Everyone say amen when they're there. Looking at the young people, you need to make sure you bring a Bible to church. Okay? Do you guys have a Bible? You got a Bible? You got a Bible? Yeah? Bring your Bible to church. It's a good place to bring your Bible. I know some people have the iPhone Bibles. I get that. That's okay. You know, but I personally, I'm old school. I like the feeling of flipping through pages. So so bring your Bible to church. Mark chapter 4, verse 28. says, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade. Everyone say blade. Then the ear. Everyone say ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. When you go out into your garden, and I am not a gardener, okay? So... Take everything I say with a grain of salt, because I could be completely wrong, right? Because I'm not a gardener. Anything I plant usually dies. But if I go and plant a banana tree, I know, even though I know nothing about gardening, I know that I'm not going to harvest bananas the next morning. True story? We don't have these kind of magic beans that you hear in the fairy tales where you can just throw a bean in the ground and there's a banana tree. You can start harvesting bananas. Right? We know that it doesn't work. There's a process of time. There's got to be rain. 
There's got to be some water. There's got to be sun. There's got to be good soil. And over time, that banana tree begins to grow, doesn't it? If I want to get a pineapple. Now, I do know pineapples take a very long time to grow. I've Something like 18 months or something. I'm not a gardener, but I know they take a long time to grow. If I want to have a pineapple for lunch, I can't plant a pineapple plant on Sunday morning. It's just not going to work, is it? So too, it's the same with making disciples as a church. When someone comes through that door, we don't know where they are at in their walk with God. Some people might already have a relationship with God. Some people might have some understanding about who God is. Some people might know nothing about God. Some people might not even know the name of Jesus. Right? And so we need to understand that we cannot force them to suddenly become a fruitful tree. There's got to be a process of time. Amen. And this is what it's talking about here in, in Mark chapter 4 when it says, First you have the blade. Then you have the ear where the corn is going to grow. And then finally the corn. Amen. There's a process of time. So I know that you cannot just rush. And this is what we spoke about last week. You cannot just rush disciples. Here's something else I know about gardening. Certain plants do good in certain environments. If I am living in Finland, in the middle of winter, where it is minus 30 degrees outside, and it's snowing, and it's freezing, if I go out in the snow and I plant a tomato bush, is it going to grow? No. It will die. It will die very quickly. Because it's cold, right? But if I'm in Finland and I'm in winter and I create what is called a greenhouse or a hothouse and I put heating in there, I can make it like it's a summer's day in that room, even though it might be minus 30 degrees and snowing outside. Now, I wouldn't want to know what your power bill would be to heat a room like that in the dead of winter. But you could plant tomatoes in the middle of a freezing cold winter in a hothouse and they will grow. Because the environment that they are in is conducive to growth. Amen. Now, let's think about this spiritually in terms of disciple making. Out there, the world is the dead of winter. Because of sin, right? It's cold. It's not a place to grow spiritually out there. The problem comes, though, is that when these people come in and we try and plant them so they can grow, if we don't have the right environment in here, if we don't have a hothouse where people can develop, if we don't have a greenhouse where everything is set just right so that person can grow, then what happens? They die. And so as a disciple-making church, it is so important that we make sure that the conditions that are in here is everything that a new disciple needs so they can grow and so they can learn. 
Does that make sense? Amen. Everyone say hot house. You see, a nurturing environment responds to the dangers that are out there, don't they? You think about it. If it's cold out there, then you make it hot in here, right? If it's too much rain out there, you put shelter in here, right? And so everything that happens inside the church is to counteract the conditions out there, to bring it back to a point where people can grow and where people can learn, amen? And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is twofold. One, are we creating an atmosphere that is conducive for disciples to grow in our church? And see, here's the thing. That just doesn't rely on me because I myself am not the church of God. We all are, amen. And so every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, is responsible for making sure that when we come through that door, we are contributing to an environment where people can grow and people can learn and people can flourish, amen. That's the first thing. The second thing is we have to understand that these blades, first the blade, then the ear, then the full head of corn, the blades have to survive. This is why it's so important. If some disease takes the crop at the blade level, you're never going to ever get a harvest because the blade has to survive first. Right? And it's when it's at that young age, that's when it's the most vulnerable. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a plant, right, that you're wanting to grow, and there's some dead leaves on it and a few little bits and pieces. You come in and what do you do? You prune it, right? You cut off the dead leaves. Because even though they're dead, they're still sucking a little bit of life out of the tree. And so you go through and cut them. And if you want them to grow some more, you might even cut a few of the live ones off. You just trim it back a little bit, right? Like I said, I'm not a gardener. But here's what I do know. If you come in with an axe and you just cut the whole thing off by the base... It'll die, right? And the smaller the plant is, the less pruning you can do. True story? Right? If you've got a plant that's got 10 leaves and you come in and you cut nine of them off, it's not going to survive, right? But if you've got a bush that's like this big and that tall, you cut nine leaves off, no problems. It'll pull through just fine. It won't even notice that you've cut nine leaves off. You get what I mean? And so when the plant is the youngest, that is when it is at its most vulnerable. Are you following me now? And so when someone comes through that door and, and they don't know hardly anything about God, they're just hurting, they're just hungry, they're just lost, they're just looking for some love and, and for, for perhaps somewhere where they can learn more about God. Maybe they've heard, they remember some stories they heard in Sunday school when they're a child and, and they want to find out more about God. That is when they are at their most vulnerable. And having the right environment for those to flourish becomes even more important. You know, because 
I mean, just, just think about it. You know, if you've been living for God for, for 20, 30 years and pastor sees something that's not right, I can come up to you and just chuk, 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 prune that out. And you'd be like, thanks, pastor. I appreciate that. Right? But when someone new comes in, they just come as they are. And so you don't see pastor going out there with pruners going, well, chuk, chuk, cut that off, chuk, chuk, cut that out. No, of course not. We let them come in, right? We let them grow and learn. And God himself takes care of that process as well. Amen. And so you've got to understand that when people come in, they're vulnerable. And every single one of us is part of that. Because all it takes is just a look and you're pruning. Someone walks in the door. Who can I pick on? I'll pick on Alan. Someone walks in the door and someone looks at him like this. What's that communicate? Wow, I'm not welcome here. Someone walks in the door and they're in a bikini. Well, good God, lady, you can't wear that in here. This is the house of God. Hello? You're pruning. You see what I mean? And, and, and I, we can't, I can't control what everyone says. I can't control what everyone thinks. So everyone has to be aware of this. Everyone has to be going, well, hang on. They're new. I've got to give them an environment where they can grow and where they can learn. Amen? Because here's the thing. <clears throat> There is some conditions out there in the world that we need to be aware of in the church so that we can respond to them. Amen. Here's the first thing. Climate condition number one. Everyone say number one. People's life perspective has definitely changed. I think it is a fair comment to say that in today's day and age, self is enthroned or self is in charge. You know, it's all about me. What's in this for me? How is this going to benefit me? How am I going to win? How am I going to prosper through this? Right? Self is in charge. Entitlement and pleasure are the attendants in that throne room as well. Amen. And people we are hoping to reach often have more stuff than any generation that's come before them. And so they seek the spiritual because what we have here is far better than anything that money can buy. Amen. 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 But here's the thing. Because of this, many people who come through these doors have different levels of what they want from God and what they want from the church. Amen. Some people just want to experience the spiritual as though it was a thrill ride. Amen. We're just here to experience something and then move on. These kind of people want an encounter, but not a life change. They want an encounter, but not a life change. And for people like that, Christ's kingdom holds very little lasting value. Amen. But many people are sincere. And they are so desperate for change that God, God's word, and his church becomes a lifeline of hope. And these are the people that we can develop, amen? And so the challenge that we have as a church is battling that mindset as we work to transition a spiritually newborn baby from being self-absorbed into one who is living for Jesus, amen? I mean, here's the thing, though. Has self-absorption really worked well? I think in this day and age, I don't know for sure, but 
I haven't looked at the statistics, but I'm pretty sure divorce is at an all-time high. Human wreckage is everywhere, amen. In conversation and at work with people, you know, there's just so many decisions that are based on self-interest. Right? I'm not going to do that. That doesn't benefit me. Amen? So how do we... How do we combat that? We have to be honest, amen, but we need to be talking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as well. That living for Jesus as a servant of Jesus is a life that is worth living, amen, because it's not just about me, it's about Him. And this is what we need to be teaching these people as they come in, is that you know there is a life that's worth living that doesn't involve me winning all the time. That, you know, well... I've surrendered my life to Jesus. He's my master. And so if he wants me to have that, then I'll have it. But if he doesn't want me to have it, I don't want it. Amen. And this is what we need to be teaching people. But here's the thing. People know if we're just saying something or we're living something. And remember, all of us, everyone say, that's me. That's me. All of us are responsible for creating environments. So my question for you is this. Is living for Jesus everything to you? Because people out there, they can see that the culture, the climate condition of the world out there is so self-centered is so focused on exalting the individual above everybody else. In Australia, we have this thing called tall poppy syndrome. Right? If some person gets ahead, everyone will gather around and try and pull them down so that they're back equal with everybody. Right? That's the environment that's out there. But here, we want Jesus to win, right? But here's the thing. We can't just say that. We have to be living it as well. Because when people come in here, they need to see that this church is filled with people who are genuinely servants of Jesus Christ. Who have genuinely sacrificed self-interest on the altar to the Lord and said, not my will, God, but yours be done in my life. That's what people are hungry for. That's what they're looking for because they come in here and they realize, wow, these people aren't just about themselves. They are living for something bigger than themselves. They are serving something bigger than themselves. Amen. And so we can't just say it. We've got to live it. And so my question for you, again, are you living for Jesus like it's the best life of all? Are you living your, your life surrendered to Jesus so that His will is done in your life? It's a good question, isn't it? Because, of course, it works in reverse. We go out there in the world and, and we're at work and we're at school and we're in the shopping centers. And everything around us is screaming, look out for number one. Look out for yourself first. And so as a church, we have to stand counterculture, amen, because that's what people want. That's the first climate condition. Someone say amen. amen. The second climate condition that we're facing in today's society <clears throat> Is this one biblical illiteracy? This is one of the reasons, young people, I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. You need to know how to use your Bible. 
need to know where the Bible's books of the Bible are. Where's Habakkuk? Where's Second Chronicles? Where's the Gospel of um, Mark? Where's the Epistle to the Galatians? Right? Because out there, there are people who know nothing about the Bible. As a matter of fact, um, I heard a story. Read a story. Um, what's the guy's name? Runs the Tonight Show in the U.S. Or used to run. Jay Leno. Right? He went out on the street. He likes to do interviews with people in the street. And he went out on the street and just asked people some questions about God, the Bible, and things like that. And he asked a couple of young ladies from college, college educated. Can you name any of the Ten Commandments? And one of the girls' response was, uh, the right to free speech. That's not a Ten Commandment, Right? He asked somebody else, you know, who was the person who was swallowed by the whale in the Old Testament? The young man responded, was that Pinocchio? I know, it's funny, isn't it? But here's the thing. That's the environment that we have out there. People know nothing about God's Word. They just think it's another book. They just think maybe, I don't know, I've never read it before. You know... I know of one pastor, I'm not going to do this, so don't worry. But I know of one pastor who every so often would get everybody to stand up if they'd read the Bible through in one year. And usually it was a very, 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 very small percentage of his church would stand up and go, yes, I've read the Bible in one year. If reading the Bible through in one year was the only condition to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, how many of us would make it? Don't stand. Don't raise your hand. It's okay. See, this is the thing. Out there, there is a culture of biblical illiteracy. People know nothing about the Bible. And that means that as a church, we have to teach them who David was. We have to tell them the story of David and Goliath. We have to talk about Daniel in the lion's den. We have to talk about how Noah built an ark. But there's something else that goes on with this as well. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, I think it is, says that you should teach these things to your children. Teach them when they rise up. Teach them when they lie down. Teach them when you're going out and about. Teach them when you come home. We need to be doing the same with our children. Let me tell you, let me just, let's just, let's just be really honest right now, okay? Sister Janie, our Sunday school director, has done quizzes with some of the Sunday school students and some of their Bible knowledge is lacking. Some of them don't know who Jonah was. Some of them don't know who Daniel was. Some of these basic Bible stories, this illiteracy will creep into the church if we as parents are not intentional about training them and teaching them and instructing them in the things of God. Because what we risk is a generation that knows nothing about God and knows nothing about the stories of the Bible. And when that happens, they're gone. They know nothing about God's Word. And so you have to be intentional about it, mums and dads. We have to be intentional about it. We have to create an environment in here where everybody here knows about the Bible who knows about God's Word, who understands what God's Word means, understands the impact that it has on our life. And let me tell you, that's not Sunday school's job. They're part of it. That's not the pastor's job. I'm part of it. 
But it's the parent's job. It's meant to be done in the home. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 is telling us. We need to be reading Bible stories to our kids. We need to be teaching them. We need to be encouraging them to learn the Bible, to learn memory verses. I was learning memory verses by the time I was five or six years old. I knew Deuteronomy 6.4. That was the very first memory verse I ever learned. Nice, easy one. But I learned it when I was like five or six. Because mom and dad would constantly drill God's word into me over and over and over and over again. We need to be the same because we have to be counterculture. Out there, nobody knows nothing about the Bible. God forbid that we have people in our church who know nothing about the Bible as well. Amen. Now coming to life class is great because we learn and we teach, but it's got to be done in the home as well. This is really straight talk, isn't it? It's got to be done in the home as well. Parents, if you're not reading Bible stories to your kids, start doing it. Start having altar times. You know, I know, I know some families here, you know, they have, they have prayer every weekend. That's fantastic. I love that. You know, we need to be having devotion times with our families. Spending time in God's Word together. Encourage your children. If they're older, encourage them to read their Bible. Don't let them play with their phones and their iPads and their Xboxes until they've read God's Word for the day. Make that a condition. You get what I'm saying? This is so important, people. So important. Praise the Lord. Now, something we can do. I'll move on before I offend everybody. Something we do need to do, however, as a church, is understand that out there people know nothing about the Bible. People know nothing about church. Some people walk through these doors and they see people in ties. And they think, man, that's weird. Who wears a tie in cans? Amen. And so when they come in, we don't need to be talking to them at our super spiritual, ultra Christian level. Someone walks in, greetings and salutations in the name of the Lord, my brother. I am Pastor Gratian. Good Lord, have mercy. That person will go. Guys, a fruit loop. Right? That's why when I introduce myself to someone who's come to church for the first time, I say, hey, I'm Jason. How are you? I don't get all formal with, I am past aggression. Right, say old chap. No, just normal. And we need to be the same. People need to see that we're normal. We don't need to be using fancy words and long sentences so people are impressed by our spirituality. This is what the Pharisees did. You know, the Bible says that Jesus, Jesus said, sorry, that the Pharisees would make long prayers in open places so people would look at them. Right, so simplify our language. For those of us who are involved in the preaching ministry, simplify the words that we use. Amen. When you're teaching a Bible study to someone, simplify the words that we use. Amen. When you're talking to someone in the street about what Jesus did for you, simplify. Use basic words because people don't know. And that's not their fault. They just, that's the society we live in. Amen. So we need to reach them where they're at and then teach them and encourage them and help them grow. Amen. Someone say, praise the Lord. Here's another thing that we should expect to have happen. When we have a new convert, we should expect lots of questions. That's not just my job to answer. Something I would like to see happen in our church is something they often do at new schools. When a new student shows up, they assign them a buddy. 
right? And that buddy shows them where the classes are, where the lunchrooms are, and where the bathrooms are. And, you know, you got to go to this class and this block and that auditorium and blah, blah, blah. And they show them everything until they get settled, until they understand where things are. They start making their own friends, amen? When a new convert comes in, when a new person who knows nothing about God, nothing about the Bible, they are going to have lots and lots and lots of questions. As a church, we need to provide an environment where they feel free to ask. I noticed the guy up the front, he was speaking in English, and then all of a sudden he went off his own blah, 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 blah stuff. What is that? Well, that's, that's speaking in tongues. That's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. What's the Holy Spirit? You know, they're going to ask these questions, and we don't need to be going, well, the Holy Spirit is. Seriously? What planet were you born on? Amen. We need to provide, remember, we're talking about a hothouse, an environment where people can grow, right? So we need to answer these kind of questions. People are going to ask, and they'll be basic, they'll be basic questions. Why have you got flags on the wall? What country is that? Why do you have three air conditioners? Why is the mic orange at the front? They're going to ask questions that are just going to be like, that is so stupid. But you've got to answer it. You've got to be there for them. Amen. They will have lots and lots of questions, and every single one of us is responsible for creating an environment where they feel free to ask those kind of questions, and we can answer them. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right, let me just skip a bit down here on my notes, because I think I've said it. I think, how much time? I don't have that much time left, do I? I want to cover this off, but I don't know if I have enough time to really cover all this off. So here's the thing. I guess let's finish off with this. I'll move on to that next bit next week. I think the point that I'm hoping you're beginning to get over these last four weeks that we've been talking about this is that disciples are an intentional product, right? If you ever go to um, a car, a car factory, right? That's building all sorts of different cars. What you see start at the beginning of the production chain won't look like a car. But when it comes out, it's going to be a car. And if you walk in at the front door of that factory on a sign that says Ford Focus Production Line, what do you expect to get at the end? Ford Focuses. You're not going to get a Toyota. They're not going to get to the end of the line and go, hey, I thought we were meant to make a Ford. This is a Toyota. No. They know that what they put in there is going to come out here. Making disciples is an intentional thing. And we are starting to work as a church. We're starting to work on strategies and, and culture so that we know that if we do this, this is what we will get at the end. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 19, go ye into all the world and make disciples. That's the New King James Version. Amen. That's what the church is here for. We are not here just to play good music. We are not here just to hear fine oratory. We are not here because we need a social club to hang out at. We're not here because we've got nothing better to do on a Sunday. We are here with the express purpose of making disciples. No other reason. No other reason. And if we're not making disciples, we're failing. It's as simple as that. Because that is the factory that God has designed for the church. It is designed to create 
disciples. And if it's not disciples that's coming out at the end, we have a problem. Amen? Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand? I think we'll leave it there. Everyone say disciple making. Disciple making. Praise the Lord. Precious Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this morning, oh God. Thank you, Lord, that you have tasked us with this.